Good morning. My goodness, really? Two people spoke back to me. Good morning. This is indeed a good morning. This is my favorite of all Sundays. I tell people because I was told by a man named Charles Johnson, if you can't preach on Easter, quit. <laughs> if you can't preach on Easter because there's something, it's not a necessarily a day that's special on God's calendar per se because he is the resurrection, so where he goes he has. But it's something about the anticipation that people have on Easter. And when you put that anticipation into the atmosphere, when you put that anticipation for something great that's going to happen out there, then the, the natural response of heaven is to flood us with the glory of the kingdom. Amen. So get ready because that's what's going to happen this morning. Man, you look good. <laughs> yeah. It, I shouldn't. Oh, that was Rich. I should have known. Rich, you, you come back to your assigned seat, young man. <laughs> Rich, somebody watch over. Where's Devin? I know Devin will keep him in line. <laughs> the most sacred and holy of all days it's on this day that we celebrate Christ's victory over death and hell and his triumphant resurrection in which he plundered death and hell and took captivity captive and rose from the dead in victory the harrowing of hell when Jesus went into Sheol or Hades and made an open show of death stripping principalities and powers and came alive again a quickening spirit. I said a minute ago the Bible says that Adam, the first Adam, was made a living soul. Which is to say when God knelt down in the Garden of, e uh, Garden of Eden and breathed into Adam's nostrils the Ruach, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. But when Jesus came back from the dead, the, the breath that was breathed into Jesus is now something that he exhales, and he is a quickening or a life-giving spirit. Adam was not a life-giving spirit. Adam was a receiver. Jesus received, and now Jesus gives. Amen. And so we receive from his breath, we receive from his spirit, the same power that caused his cold, dead body to get up out of the grave. My God. This morning I want to talk about love stronger than death and the harrowing of hell. The plund utter plundering of hell. Are you going to go there with me? Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I promise you I'll, it is 11.30. 11.30 was a wonderful date. For those of you that don't know, there was a legend born on November 30th. And if you don't know, now you know. Glory, glory. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. The King James says, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him bodily. My question to some people is, did Jesus dwell in the Godhead or was the Godhead in him? <laughs> Just wondering. And our own completeness is now found in him. I think that I'm reading from the, uh, from the Message Bible, but it might be the, I normally read from the New American Standard. I did not put the translation down. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. That's a good place to say amen. He is the head, the federal head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of the heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and now is extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. My God. For we have been buried with him into his death. And our baptism into his death also means that we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from the realm of death. This realm of death describes our former state 
for we were held in sin's grasp. But now, somebody say, but now. When does now happen? Right now. Now is the ever-present truth. But now we've been resurrected out of the realm of death, never to return again, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all of our sins. My God, that's enough to preach itself. We are forever alive and forever forgiven of all of our sins. Now that may challenge your theology a little bit, but if it challenges it, maybe your theology needs to be challenged. Maybe the gospel is bigger than we've believed and maybe the gospel, maybe the work that Jesus finished at Calvary that we're going to talk about is actually more complete than we give him credit for. Maybe he actually did plunder hell. Maybe he did actually spoil principalities and powers. Maybe he did actually raise from the dead and bring captivity captive. Maybe, they don't want to preach before I'm going to preach. But maybe the gospel is bigger than what we think it is. Here's a, here's, a, here's a clear definition of gospel, the good news, which means if it ain't good news, it ain't the gospel. And most of what we hear preached about what happened is not good news. Most of it puts the onus on what we do instead of the work that Jesus did. Our simple work is to believe in the finished work of the cross. Amen. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. Say, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of our sins. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. Canceled it out. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. God help me. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto the cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Amen. Everything that came from sin and death and the curse, Jesus took that upon himself. The Bible says in the King James Version that he took the handwriting of ordinances which were against us and blotted them out of the way, nailing them to his cross. I like the way Lynn Hiles gives a really good explanation of this. And here's the explanation. Sean's got a truck. What do you drive, a Dodge? You're a Dodge man? No, then I can't use you. Uh, Where's a Chevy or a Ford? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. So Sean's got a Dodge truck worth $15,000. And I say to Sean, I like your truck and I want to buy your truck. And he says, okay. And for the sake of math, we set up easy payments, John. We set up payments of $1,000 a month for 15 months. And so on the first month, I say, Sean, here's $1,000. So now I owe 14. On the second month, here's $1,000. There's no interest because, you know, we know each other and stuff. And $1,000 is, is a big payment anyways. So it all goes straight to principal. On the, on the 15th month, when I write him the last check and sign my name to that check and hand it to him, he, he has no right on the 16th month to call me and say, where is my payment? Because the debt has been paid in full. I've paid for 15 months. The truck is paid for. Now the truck is in my name, and, it's, and I'm allowed, and I can let anyone that wants to use that truck use that truck. And Sean has zero authority to call me month 16 and say, Where's my payment? It is the same way with sin and death. Jesus paid completely, utterly, and totally everything that we were supposed to pay. And because he did, sin and death can no longer collect that debt because it's already been paid in full. Period. Jesus took the, the, the debt that we had, he paid it, he canceled it, and he put it on his cross and said, by the way, here's the notice, you can't collect anymore. Yeah. Amen. 
So if you hear somebody keeping you in sin and death, pray for them that God will enlighten them because you're not part of the kingdom of sin and death. You are a part of the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Amen. How do we get there? Simply believe. Another way to put it is open your eyes. Then Jesus made, oh, now, now this is about to get real good. You thought it was good. Now, we're at about a seven. We're going to go to a 12 in a minute. And I'm just reading scripture. I'm not even preaching yet. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. My God. And by the power of the cross, by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He literally walked them around. My God. Let me finish reading. He was not their prisoner. They were his. <laughs> the principalities and the powers of darkness that had long held humans, that had long held the whole human race at grass, then sin and death, now Jesus goes into hell to plunder hell itself. This is the what. We ain't even gotten to the, to the how yet, and that's gonna be even better. Now sin and death have become the prisoners of Jesus, as he told John. He is the resurrection and the life, and he holds the keys of death and of hell. 1 Corinthians 15. This is Paul talking. I can almost hear someone saying, how can the dead come back to life? And what kind of body will they have when they are resurrected? Foolish man, don't you know that what you sow into the ground does not germinate unless it dies? And what you sow is not the body that will come into being, but the bare seed. Somebody think about Jesus right now. I want you to, I want you to picture Jesus being buried. It's hard to tell when it's wheat or some other seed, but when it dies, God gives it a new form, a body to fulfill its purpose, and he sees to it that each seed gets a new body of its own and becomes the plant he designed it to be. All flesh is not identical. Animals have one flesh and human beings another. Birds have their distinct flesh and fish another. Did you just hear a bird? Just checking. I mean, he's, the Holy Spirit is not a dove, but I mean, he's, something's whistling. He descended like a dove. God gives it a new form, a body to fulfill its purpose, and sees to it that each gets a new body. All flesh is not identical. Animals have one flesh. And it was just weird because I said the word birds, and then I heard the whistle. I just, you know, I'm sorry. It's me. It's my nature. You know, there's a squirrel. Let's chase it. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to focus on resurrection. <laughs> Birds. See, Devin, you could have done it right there. It would have been awesome. Birds have their distinct flesh and fish another. In the same way, there are earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. There is a splendor of the celestial body and different one for the earthy. There is the radiance of the sun and differing radiance for the moon and for the stars. Even the stars differ in their shining, and that's how it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in decay, but it will be raised in immortality. It is sown in humiliation, but it will be raised in glorification. It is sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. My God, if there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body, for it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last Adam became the life-giving spirit. 
However, the spiritual did not come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth, but the second man is the Lord from heaven. Or this says, is the Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. But the one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. My God, I believe I'm talking this morning to a heavenly people that are just like their big brother. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Now I tell you this, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit God's kingdom realm, and neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, and I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. Transformed. Our form will be changed. It will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of his eye, for when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible and we will be transformed, for we will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immortality, and when that which is, put, when that which is mortal puts on immortality, and what now decays is exchanged for what will never decay, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up by triumphant victory. So death, tell me, where is your victory? Tell me, death, where is your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, who gives us the victory. Not that we win the victory, he wins the victory. We step into the victory that he won on our behalf and simply declare it and enjoy it. It's called inheritance. We know that we prosper and excel. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me back up. It is sin that gives death its sting and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So now, beloved ones, stand firm and secure. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence, an unshakable peace. That's easy to amen. Sometimes it's hard to walk out. Because when all hell breaks loose, and you, what has to happen is you cannot allow the storm that's going on without to influence the peace that you have within. That's why Jesus could be in the boat in the middle of a raging storm that was so crazy that it, that it scared professional fishermen. And Jesus is in the bow of the boat sound asleep because he refused to allow the storm of life around him influence the peace that he had within. Amen. So now, beloved ones, stand firm and secure. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. Jesus, listen to me, took away the sting of death by tasting death for every man. Death, literally and figuratively, has lost its teeth. Something the Lord told me last year. I shared in a message called Death, Where Is Your Sting? I'm going to highlight some of the things that I said last year. And here are some of them. At his resurrection, Jesus literally took the sting or the teeth of death or the teeth out of the mouth of death. Sin was the teeth of death and the law was the jaws of death. Listen to me. Sin was the teeth of death and the law was the jaws of death. 
And at the cross, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he literally took the teeth out of the jaw and broke the jawbone and rendered sin and death completely and utterly helpless. Just as helpless as a toothless dog with a broken jaw. Who's afraid of that? Jesus at his resurrection from the dead and by his resurrection in you. We can no longer see the resurrection as a historical event, but the resurrection, as Jesus said, is a person. And if that person is alive in you, then you have innately within you the power to produce resurrection. Every church in, in, in the United States of America, every Christian church, every Catholic church, every church right now, this Sunday, and across the world, is going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus by and large as a historical event. And that's not a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. But all that is is history. But it's when we receive the power of the knowledge that Jesus did not have a resurrection, but he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And not only did he say he is the resurrection and life, but he lives within us, then we have within us the very same power that I sung it, the same power, the same power that crushed the enemy the same power that caused Jesus' cold, lifeless, bloodless body to at once inhale glory and raise from the dead lives inside of every single one member of his family. You're more powerful than you know. You're more powerful than you think. And what happens is it's as though there are two voices calling from opposite ends of our reality. One is the voice of life. And if we listen to the voice of life and we gravitate towards the voice of life, the more that we, Jesus said that those that hear his, in John, those that hear his voice will live. Relationships will live. Your health will come back to life. Your financial stability will come back to life. All of the above will come back to life. But on the opposite end of the spectrum is the voice of death. Because remember, death has a broken jawbone. It has no teeth. So it can't even bite anymore, but it does still talk. And if we listen to the voice of death and we gravitate to the voice of death, which says, I can't or I'm less than, or I've messed up, or I'm beyond my years, or I'm beyond my prime, or he'll never use me again, or he'll never accept me again, or does he know what I've done? If we listen to that voice and gravitate towards that voice, then we will produce, as creators, death. But if we ever turn and say, wait a minute, because of what Jesus accomplished, because of what he did, and say, no, I will not listen to the voice of death anymore. I will not listen to the voice of past. I will listen to the voice of life that's calling me to walk anew and afresh in this living kingdom. And as we move and walk and, and gravitate towards that life, then we become one with the voice that's calling us. You are a creator. You are a creator. You're not just a created being, you're a creator. The Bible says that God made man in his image and after his likeness. Is God a creator? Are you afraid to answer me? Is God a creator? Then so are you. And you create your reality with your actions and your words. And if you want to follow the voice of death, you have innately within you because you, you have that power, the ability to produce, excuse me, in your life death. 
But if you'll listen to the voice of life and gravitate towards that voice, you have innately within you the ability to overcome anything of the realm of sin, death, and the curse. And you don't need a preacher slapping oil on your hand to do it. What do you need to do? You got to hear it. You got to hear it. The time is coming and now is that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and all that hear will live. By the way, that's the red word. Deal with it. That's the red word. That's what Jesus said. The time is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and all that hear will live. What's my job this morning? To try to get you to hear the voice. To say no to the voice of sin and death and to say yes to the voice of the risen Christ calling you to new life. Jesus at his resurrection from the dead and by his resurrection in you literally rendered death as powerless as a toothless dog with a broken jaw. Not just death that we all experience leading to the afterlife, but no dead thing has any power at all over those who hear the voice of life. How could it when the glorious light of the risen Christ shines forth in your heart? Listen, when you are raised in Christ, you cannot be touched by the death realm. I'm going to. Just wanted to put some water on my throat so it sounded better. When you are raised in Christ, you cannot be touched by the death realm. It literally has zero power, zero authority over you at all. When I go to India or I go to Africa or wherever the Lord decides to take me and I stand in front of people who have tumors on their neck or that can, have not seen or have not heard, innately within me it rises up the power to cause that dead thing because that's the realm of the curse to fall off. And time and time again, it's seen it happen. And the reason that it does not happen in American churches is because we don't believe it and we gravitate more towards the voice of doubt and fear and unbelief than we do the voice of life and righteousness. And if you want to believe that it can happen, what's, what is it, uh, was it, was it Henry Ford that said whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can? In both instances, you're right. If you believe that your life will never change, your life will never get better, you are literally given power to that thought because you are a creator. But if you believe that you can, and you believe that he will, and you believe that he did, and you can hear his voice calling you to life and victory, then you just walk towards life and victory. Declare it and stand on it until it happens. Every time that I first lay hands or speak to someone that's sick, they don't always immediately respond, but they do always respond. They have to respond to the voice of life. How many times have you, remember that, remember that scripture where it says, and Jesus prayed for the sick, and some of them got it, but some of them were just, were, you know, screwed. I shouldn't have said that on Easter. We have too many visitors. I'm sorry. Some, I mean, he's, you know, he, he's like, man, if you'd have got me last Sunday, I was real anointed, but I can't do it today. No. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The devil, the enemy, the accuser. The accuser, that's what that means. Not a man with a pitchfork and horny horns and a bifurcated tail saying, you know, no, no, no. The accuser that says, he'll not do this for you because he knows what you did. I won't even dare ask him for that because I'm ashamed of what I've done and I have no right to ask him. Remember in the garden when Adam and Eve fell and the Lord comes after Adam and he says, where are you, Adam? And he says, I was afraid. I hid myself because I was afraid because I was naked or I was without something I thought I should have. And so I hid. 
And that's what we do today. We become afraid because of something we've done or something that's happened in our past or some failure that we've had, and we allow ourselves to be tortured by what we've done instead of saying no to the accuser. You have no right to talk into my ear. I say no to that voice and yes to the voice of life. The Lord essentially says to you, when he says, who told you you were naked? He's essentially, he's essentially implying because it didn't come from me. I never called you naked. I never said you were without. The enemy said, the Lord knows that in the day that you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. The deception was they had to do something to be like God. The reality was they were created already in his image. They were already like God. And it's the same thing that we go through today. We don't realize what our true identity is, and we struggle with the identity issue because we have an accuser whispering in our ear, but does he know what you did? You're naked. You're without. You don't have something. You should cover up. You should hide. Hide from fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Hide from relationship. Hide from going to church. Hide, or whatever the case is, hide from it because I was afraid, because I considered myself without or I messed up, and shame came upon me, so I hid. And what, the, what Jesus did, he went into hell, he totally plundered the powers of hell and says, there's never a time again that you should feel sin or shame or the curse thereof. Amen. Amen. It's five o'clock somewhere. Oh, no dead thing has any power at all. How could it when the glorious light of the risen Christ shines forth in your heart? Listen to this. When you're raised in Christ, you cannot be touched by the death realm. The only thing dead has to offer is a fading voice. And when you hear the voice of death, it creates fear, and fear controls and manipulates. The moment you walk away from the sound of death, it is as if you have walked out of your very own tomb in the same way that Jesus Christ did. Woo! You want to walk out of your tomb? Walk away from the voice of sin and death. Does that mean I'll never mess up? It means there is no cosmic chalkboard marking when you did good and when you did wrong. Jesus took his blood and erased the board forever and says, I call you righteous. I call you holy. I call you redeemed. You're my family. You know how I became the son of Tony Button? Let's just put it this way. I didn't have a thing to do with it. Even children that are adopted, by and large, have nothing to do with becoming a part of a family. My oldest son is my adopted son. He is Jacob Elijah Bunton that I had adopted two and a half years ago. And he's my son. He's more like me than the other ones. Bless his heart and save his soul. <laughs> my God. Just ask Mark. Mark and him been going at it about basketball. He didn't get his arrogance from me. I'm not like that at all. And never was. Was I, Tammy? <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> What, I do to, what did you do to get born in the kingdom? You were born into the kingdom. And you have certain un, uh, inalienable rights that are afforded to you simply because you're born into his kingdom. To be clear, a good father is never going to award all of his estate to immature sons and daughters. For instance, if, and I won't, I plan on living to at least 117. And when I get there, I'll decide if I want to get to 118 or not. But let's just say I were to walk out here today, go to Logan's, eat a roll, it's so heavenly, I just fall off into the glory. <laughs> you know, you, just, you put it in your mouth and you're like, if this is not what heaven tastes like. You ever had them? Like autumn, the fresh ones? Not the ones that are a little bit burnt, I'm talking about the fresh ones. And don't bring me cinnamon butter, that's just, that's sacrilege. Give me good old-fashioned butter. 
And I want to I take my knife and say, and there is no, therefore now no condemnation. I want all the butter you can bring me. And I'm going to slide it into that biscuit. We, the first hallelujah I've gotten out of Devin in six months. Come on, preach. <laughs> I'm going to take that big, big dollop of butter and slide it into the roll. And you don't eat right away. You close it back. And let it sit in there and just, just, just good Lord, it just does this. It breakdances its way into every nook and cranny and crevice. And when you put it in your mouth, if your life isn't changed, you, there's no hope for you. Just. Don't even get me started on Krispy Kreme, especially the hot and ready ones. Don't make me. Good God Almighty. I will get my Pentecost on real quick. You ever seen somebody run up and down this? I'll jump off the side of the balcony. <laughs> the only thing death has to offer is a fading voice when you hear the voice of death it creates fear which controls and manipulates the moment you walk away from the sound of death it's as if you have walked out of your very own tomb in the same way Jesus Christ did no death no fear or better said no fear equals no death I'm about halfway done. Some of you just went into the fire right then. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm going to hurry through. You can be as confident and victorious over death as Christ Jesus himself. That is his gift to humanity. He literally left death toothless and with a broken jawbone and then mocked its power. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Not as a question, but as a champion standing over his defeated foe and taunting his fallen victim. Death, where is your sting? I've heard about it for thousands of years, but now where's your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Imagine Jesus with the keys of death and of hell and of the grave standing over all three defeated foes walking around with their necks in a chain behind him and he looks at him and says, where's your sting now? Where is your power? You're absolutely powerless. And he pranced them around, all of Hades, and said, I want you to look. Now they're defeated forever. He said, I am the one that lives forevermore and I have the keys of death and of hell. The devil doesn't kill anybody. He doesn't have those keys. In case you were wondering, he doesn't have those keys. He doesn't even have any teeth left. All he has left is a voice. What an awesome, all-encompassing victory that Jesus won on our behalf. We can clearly see the picture now of what Jesus did at the cross. All this was a very condensed version. But how did he do it? How did he do it? There's only one force, one substance, one thing on earth more powerful than death. It is, not, it is not necessarily anointing. It is not necessarily, there's one, one force on, the, on, on earth that's more powerful than death. Anybody want to guess? Love. Song of Solomon says love is stronger than death. The King James says strong as death, but a better version renders it stronger than death. The Father who so loved the world gave his Son, who is love incarnate, love with flesh on, and sowed him as a seed into death. Don't miss this. Jesus is the seed of the tree of life. 
And the seed of the tree of life was hanged on the tree of death and pulled off of the tree of death and put into the ground to be buried. <laughs> Once the stone was rolled over the tomb, it was, as, it was as if the seed had been covered with earth. Now the seed, yes, the seed of God, the seed of Abraham, the good God Almighty, the promised seed that was to come, the seed that was promised in the beginning of the garden, when God said, Eve, your seed will crush the serpent's head, now the seed had to die. Death would be defeated by death and by the death of love incarnate. You see, the seed had to die because until the seed dies, its power remains within itself. <laughs> but the moment a seed dies, come on, the very moment a seed dies, or the moment the seed of God himself gave up the ghost and said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and he exhaled for one last time, the moment a seed dies, the moment the shell or the body of the seed is broken, it automatically begins to germinate. <laughs> it contains within itself the power to rise from the dead. Yes, indeed, the tree of life was buried in the deep caverns of Hades. But the very moment the seed was broken and began to germinate and it began to take root, it had already overcome death. And death never even saw it coming. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his son, or better said, he gave his seed. He took his own seed. His, that's why he's called his only begotten son, not just his only son, his only begotten son, the seed of the father, the perfect picture of the father, the one in whom all of the Godhead dwelt bodily, and he put himself in a seed, and for love of the world, he sowed that seed into death. And death thought that it had won and death began to mock the power of life and yet life was being broken open and every second that death was laughing, there was a new root being formed into the ground. There was water being poured on the ground and it would only be a matter of time before the sun would shine on that seed and cause that seed to... Yeah. And cause that seed to break forth and bust forth from the ground. It was not possible that death could hold him because he's the seed of life. Not possible. Historically, that's a wonderful thing. But when that same resurrection life lives in you, you realize it is not possible for anything of the realm of death to hold me from my purposes in his kingdom. The only thing that can keep you from your purposes in his kingdom is you. He had to die, but it was not possible for him to stay dead. Because the moment that seed, that precious body, the Lamb of God was broken open, the seed began to germinate, put into the earth, covered over, begins to grow. Sunday morning early when the sun rose, the sun rose. <laughs> Early on Sunday morning when the sun rose, the sun rose. I believe the S-O-N rose before the S-U-N. And the angels rolled the stone away, not so that Jesus could get out. He said, I am the door. He just, he just enters and leaves as he pleases. But so that his disciples could go in and see, oh, this place is empty. There's no body here anymore. What there is is the veil 
that covered his face and it's been folded up and put away and left buried because no longer will there be separation from the glory of God and the face of man. Jesus decided once and for all, I'm done with this napkin, I'm done with this veil, I'm done with the separation, so we're gonna fold it up, I'm gonna leave it in the tomb. I'm coming out, the veil that separates stays in. <laughs> the death and burial of a seed is a sure sign that life is coming. Oh, I sure have felt like death lately. I feel like the dirt has been put. It's okay. If the seed of God, the seed of the living Christ lives within you, you will come back to life. You will come back to life. You will come to life. You simply need a little bit of water and a little bit of somebody shining some light on the. You need a little bit of truth and you need a little bit of the spirit to be poured on you. And the moment that happens, no matter how dead it looks, death has to happen. Death always comes first, then resurrection. There is no resurrection of the dead if there's no dead. But death has to come. That's why Paul said, oh, that I might know him in the, in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable even unto his death. I like to reverse and say that I might know him in his death because when Jesus died, we died with him. When Jesus was buried, we were buried with him. But when Jesus rose, we rose up with him and none of us should ever go back into a tomb. The only tomb that can keep us is the tomb of our own mind and our own will. The death and burial of a seed is a sure sign that life is coming. And on that Sunday morning, when the sun was rising over the tomb, the seed received enough light to bloom. New creation, new life, a new covenant. Now death has no power. Sin has been defeated. Hell has been plundered. And we walk with Jesus out of the tomb of death and shame and past and walk into the glorious liberty of the lives of sons and daughters of God. Amen. You, you, you help me preach, baby. Let me have her. You help, this is my niece. You help me preach. Come here. I'm not even going to, I just want to pick her up. I look at her, isn't she beautiful? Say, hey. You going to kiss the microphone? Here. She's so cute. Resurrection, not as an historical event as a reality, as a reality in the heart and life of every believer. Only believe. Simply believe. I find as I go, and I don't go as much as I used to, I'm a little more tied to the church now, but people just simply don't hear this. How can they believe except they hear? They don't hear this. You know what they hear? When you get out on that road, you might wrap your car around a tree. You better come up here. You're going to burn in hell forever. Well, that makes me want to get saved. That makes me not ever want to go back to church. Because that is using fear as a manipulator. I'm not suggesting that, that, I will say this, that's not going to happen today. Nobody's wrapping the car around a tree in this church, in Jesus' name. Shama, shama. <laughs> not happening to you today. But that's a manipulation. And if you manipulate someone to be a part of something, you've got to continue to manipulate them to keep them a part of it. And that's what the enemy does. That's what fear does. What Jesus does is reveal to us our true identity as sons and daughters. The Bible calls him the firstborn from among the dead, and he calls him the firstborn among many brethren, which means he's the first of many that would be born from the dead. 
Did you know that when Jesus got up historically that many of the old prophets from the Old Testament rose from the dead too and were seen in Jerusalem for 40 days? Did you know that? Most, I, I tell some people, they're like, I don't believe that. Well, well that's, I don't, I'm not surprised. Have you ever picked up your Bible and read? He, he even, Mark said, he even liberated the son. He, the, go read 1 Peter. 1 Peter talks about it. Go pull out your, or it might be 2 Peter. It's 2 Peter. Go read 2 Peter. And the Bible says that Jesus went into hell and preached to the sons of disobedience. And when he came out, they came out with him. So don't tell me he can't save from hell. <laughs> you come too late to tell me. This is good news, folks. This is good. This should be embraced by everyone in the new covenant. Wait, you mean I don't have to listen to the voice of sin and death? And anybody that's, that's preaching sin and death, they, look, God loves them as much as he loves you. They're just ignorant and have not come to the knowledge of the truth. At, at some point, probably all of us were bound to that and heard that and were captured by that. And I'm not trying to throw off on people that are there. What I'm saying is don't let yourself be manipulated by someone trying to scare you. And you're never, you can't be scared into a kingdom. It's the goodness of God that draws men into, into change. Fear manipulates, but repentance, change comes by the goodness of God. And so I just figured I'm going to major on the goodness of God. I'm going to say he's good when you're bad. He's good when you mess up. He's good when you don't do it right. He's good when you failed. He's good when you feel shame. He's just good. And we, we come to the reality that he's always good and that his nature, and, and not just his nature, but his purpose for you supersedes your nature. Whoa, you're telling me I'm still your son? Yes. You still love me? Yes. I'm still your daughter? Yes. And you saw what I did? What are you talking about? You remember when I messed up, Lord? No, I don't remember that. I've put it away because I see you as you are. On the higher end of it, we could say like Brendan Manning, God loves us just as we are, not as we should be because none of us are as we should be. I mean, if we're going to stand up here and, and claim everyone's faults and everyone's failures, everybody's got plenty. So what we do is we say, I will refuse to take my identity with shame and with what I've happened. I, I'm going to take my identity with my name, with my nature, with Christ, which means the anointed one and his anointed family. That's where I take my nature. That's where I take my identity. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. And because I'm a son or a daughter of God, I'm a joint heir with Christ and an heir of God. A joint heir with Christ, which means everything that he should get by inheritance, you can expect to get. And an heir of God means I take into myself the very DNA of the one who breathed in the Adam's nostrils and the one who breathed in the Jesus nostrils, the breath of life. That means I have in me a life-giving spirit. And I need to be exhaling that glory everywhere I go. Because there are people all around the world that don't hear this and don't know this. And they're dying because they're forced to live in sin and shame. Because it's a lie that's been perpetuated through the ages and because it's so old, it must be true. It's true. You ever, have you ever discovered something that you believed for years and years and years and years was true and you discovered it was a lie? And you probably maybe even would have fought to say, no, this is truth, until you came to the knowledge and you're like, whoa, that's not what I thought at all. That's the way the gospel is. It's so much better than we think it is. And just because the lie has been perpetuated doesn't make the lie the truth. No matter how many times it's told, a lie does not become truth. Here's the truth. You're sons and daughters of God. Here's the truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever simply believes, I want you to believe, 
so I want you to hear. And if you hear, you can believe. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, would not taste of the death realm, but have everlasting life, life of the ages. Not just, in the, not just in the sweet by and by, not some glad morning. This morning when I got up was some glad morning. When I got up this morning, it was some glad morning because I had that little angel right there singing when I woke up and the birds were singing and I had coffee. Hard to beat it. Hard to beat it. I actually slept last night too. And I woke up on Resurrection Sunday to come and tell you he's alive and he wants to live in you. Let's all stand. I don't remember it, but okay. This is just a... Barbara, you need to come up here so they can see you. They can see me. Okay. I'll fall up the steps <laughs> and then won't be able to get down. <laughs> no, um, this is just a little example of what the kids are going through in our uh, paired, uh, walk with Jesus. But I believe there's somebody here today, out here, uh, if you'll notice, there's a piece of paper in here. And they're writing down some things they're not proud of, maybe some things that they know they've done bad. And, you know, the water represents the Spirit of the Lord. And they're being asked to put these things that they've written down in the, um, in the water. Thank you. And, you know, just like Josh was talking about how, you know, your daughter, what'd you do? I don't remember. God doesn't remember our past. He doesn't remember our things that we've done wrong or uh, things that have tried to hold guilt over us. But the kids are writing down things on this piece of paper, and then they're dropping them in this water. And I want you to just look at it because it's gone. It's dissolved. And I want you to know that's how the Lord sees your shortcomings, your failures, the things that you feel like you cannot be forgiven of. He, they're gone. Right. And I want you to know that he loves you and he wants you to know how much you're loved. But he doesn't see those things. He sees you in his image, in his likeness. And you've got to see you that way. That's, right. That's when power comes, when you see you as he sees you. Amen. Father, thank you for this day that we celebrate the resurrection of your son. The standing up again. Not only was it the resurrection of his body, but it was the resurrection of the kingdom. You stood back up the covenant. You stood back up. You caused to be erect again all things that had fallen through Adam. And Father, I know that there are people here under the sound of my voice that maybe the way that I have presented this is new to them or different or possibly even challenging. But I pray that the seed of your word would go deep into the soil of their soul and that it would bring forth much fruit for the benefit and the use of your kingdom. Help us, Father, to understand that death has no teeth and its jawbone is broken, that it's simply a voice. And if we'll turn off that voice and say no to that voice and listen to the voice of life calling us into our walk with you, that we'll walk further and further until, as Enoch was, he walked and was not. Lord, we want to walk with you so much that we're not. What used to be us is not us anymore, but that we're just one with you. 
Father, I know there are people here that want to believe. But they've been jaded by religion. They've been jaded by fear. Maybe they've even been burned in church. For one, on behalf of all ministry across this world, I humbly ask forgiveness for anyone that's been hurt in church or by leadership. But I pray, Father, that this morning would be a a turning point, would be a landmark, as it were, would be a monument in time for someone or many to say, this is the day. This is the day that I stop listening to the voice of death. This is the day that I will stop listening to the voice of fear. This is the day that I choke out the voice of the accuser and I will hear the voice of my father saying, come. That I'll hear the voice of my father saying, come. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this building now, Father, that feels that in their heart, that feels that in their life, Lord, that right now they make this decision. I refuse to eat from the realm of death anymore. If that's you, come on down here to the front. I don't normally do this, but I I can't get away from it. It's the third time he's put it in my heart. If if you are ready to walk away from the voice of sin, you're ready to walk away from the voice of the curse, from the voice of the accuser, you say, this is my day. This is the day that I take back my true identity as a son and a daughter. If that's you, I want you to meet me down here in front. for a body full of believers that know who they are. Thank you for a body of believers secure in their identity. Thank you for what your resurrection is and means to us. Help us not to relegate celebrating resurrection to a day, but that we would walk in newness of life every day. I thank you that death is just as powerless as a toothless dog with a broken jaw. I thank you that you plundered hell. That nothing from sin, death, or hell has any any claim on our lives anymore. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. I hope you have a happy Easter. I hope that you enjoy your day. And I hope that you save me some low controls. All right. God bless you. God love you. Hopefully we'll see you next Sunday.